for the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. We pray for those that are watching in the overflow rooms and those that are watching on live stream from home, those that will hear this on the radio later. May you minister to every heart. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So the four gospels are the life of Jesus. When you get to the book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now in the gospels, We know that the apostles walk with Jesus, and we saw that while they were growing in their relationship with him, they still were men that were incredibly flawed. Peter's one of the best examples that he was the one that said he would never deny the Lord. He was the one that was lopping off ears. He's the one that was arguing who was the greatest amongst the others. And we know that when Jesus was crucified, when he was actually, when he was being scourged and And uh, it said that he would deny the Lord three times. He denies the Lord. The third time he denies him, he sees Jesus who had been beaten. Their eyes connect. He runs away. He weeps bitterly. Well, in the book of Acts, we see the acts of the Holy Spirit. So in Luke, it says that Jesus breathed the Spirit in them. So as believers, the Spirit are are people. Well, the Spirit is one of three relationships with you. The Holy Spirit is God, the third part of the Trinity. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. Before you were saved, he was with you. He's with the world. We call him our conscience. Uh, the conscience is, tells us what's right and wrong. It's not the conscience, it's the Holy Spirit with us. But when you give your life to Jesus, he goes from being with you to being in you. It says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. How do you know you're going to heaven? Because the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. But not only can the Spirit be with you and in you, he can also be upon you. Because in Luke, it says that the Lord... They breathe the spirit in them. But he said, go and wait. When they went to the book of Acts, when he ascends into heaven, after he rose from the dead, he said, go and wait. And the Holy Spirit shall come upon you not many days from now. Now, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Penta means 50. It was 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. They were gathered together. They were worshiping in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came upon them and people heard them speaking, and they're all in their known languages, the wonderful works of God. And so in in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. At the end of chapter two, after the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he went back to the very same people he was scared to death of, that he ran for his life and he hid from, and now filled with the Holy Spirit, he got up and spoke with boldness, and 3,000 people got saved in a single day. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And the difference in Peter's life is the difference we should desire to have in our own lives from being one who has the Spirit in them to the Spirit upon him. A man who walked in fear to a man who walks by faith. And so as we pick up this morning in chapter 3, I'm actually going to look at the last few verses of chapter 2. And if you've got your outline, grab it. I titled the message, Walking in the Spirit. So as believers, you all have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. As people, he's either with you if you're not saved, he's in you, but the Spirit can come upon you. Now, the way that's referred to in Scripture, it talks about the Spirit being upon you, being poured out upon you, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And as my dad used to say, call it whatever you want, just get it. Amen? And we need less of us and more of him, and that should be our prayer daily. And so I tell him the message walking in the Spirit, attributes of a Spirit-filled believer. Now, I'm going to finish off looking at chapter 2 
the church walking in the spirit. What should the church look like? What is the model for the church? The model for the church, you heard Pastor Joshua mention it during announcements. The model for the church is found in Acts chapter 2, and we'll look at that. Secondly, then we're going to see some of the attributes of a spirit-filled believer. Now, these are men in this, in this text, but it belongs to men and women. And so what are the things that we see in a spirit-filled life? What, is it, what does your life look like if you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Number one, you're a man or a woman of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. The fact that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, that we can now enter into his presence and we can talk to him anywhere and anytime. And guys, I want to say this. I believe, truly believe that one of the things we will regret when we get to heaven or at the end of our lives is that we did not take the time to spend more time in the presence of Almighty God. I want to tell you what, everyone that you is used mightily is someone who prays diligently. You know, we need to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. Number two, they're men and women of compassion and discernment. When you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit gives you discernment. It also gives you compassion towards those who are hurting. Someone who walks with, is filled with the Lord, who's died to themselves, has a focus on other people more than themselves. And then the Holy Spirit also gives us wisdom and discernment in how to minister to others. Number three, uh, a spirit-filled person is also someone who is a man or a woman of faith. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. And if you want to grow in faith, you need to spend more time in the word of God. And people of faith are those that often, like in the Jordan, they had to put their foot in the river before it would part. And often as believers, that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's, it's when we step out in faith, even when we don't understand, when we learn to trust the Lord, it's not believing and then seeing, or seeing and then believing, it's believing and then seeing. Number four, they are men and women of humility. When you recognize the greatness of our God, it should humble us all. Amen? And humility is a godly attribute. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And may we walk in humility. May we recognize how desperately we need the Lord. You know, the people that are used mightily by God are humble, broken, and desperate. Lord, do what's necessary to keep us there. Uh, number six, point number six, there are men and women of conviction. Again, conviction is where you have a you know, you don't compromise your faith. It's where you know what you believe and why you believe it, and it doesn't matter what the world around you is doing, you're going to remain steadfast by the grace of God. And then finally, men and women of the Word. So let's begin there. And I don't mind the rain, how about you? It's beautiful, it's great, I love it, sounds great. Praise the Lord for it. All right, so getting there, Acts chapter 2, picking up there at verse 42. We'll pick up in verse 40. It says there in verse 40, and with many words, he testified at exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. This is Peter when he had been sharing the gospel. He said, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. Notice that baptism is something that is done subsequent to salvation. Baptism is a, an outward statement of an inward change. It's a public proclamation. And it's, it's a picture of the fact that you died to the person you used to be, and you are now a new creation in Christ. And so as believers, if we, we want to openly and boldly profess our faith, we should not be undercover Christians. We should not try to keep it to ourselves. But notice then, this is what the church looks like. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, 
and prayer. So the apostles' doctrine is the teaching of the word of God. The foundation for spiritual growth and maturity is the word of God. The Bible tells us we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. Imagine if you opened your Bible as much as you opened your fridge. Amen? How a spirit, you'd be thinner and you'd be a spiritual giant. Amen? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and a church that does not emphasize the word of God is not a church. Amen? It's the word of God that transforms us. It's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, you need to get to know not just the word, but the author. And the way that we get to know the Lord better is to read the word that he's delivered to us. So the early church focused heavily on the teaching of God's word. But notice what it says next. In the apostles' doctrine, fellowship. Now fellowship, it literally can also mean partnership. The word is koinonia. And so it's having something in common. I was meeting with a group of pastors, uh, go over some church business for a church up in Northern California. And you know, some of these guys I barely know. But when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. You've heard it said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. Because when you know the Lord, there's an immediate like fellowship. And part of what has happened in the church, even especially here in America, and especially with COVID, it made it worse, where a lot of people, you know, there's people right now sitting in their pajamas, eating bacon and eggs, watching church. Hello, I'm, you know, next Sunday, come on down. Can I get amen to that? But here's what happens. Just watching church online is not fellowship. It's like the difference between watching a fire on your television or having a fire in the fireplace. There's no heat on TV, amen? And, and again, it's, a, it's an option. Hey, when I've been sick I, and Joshua's teaching or Chris is teaching, I sit at home and I watch, and that's a great, op, uh, great option. And even today, maybe some people with their health issues, they didn't want to go out in the rain, that's okay. But guys, we need fellowship because not only do we come here to be ministered to, we come here to minister. And you have gifts that other people don't have. And the body is only healthy. And the way that it should be is if we're all using our gifts. I may have gifts you don't have. You may have gifts I don't have. So I can minister to you and you can minister to me. And guys, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. And the Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. We need to surround ourselves with other believers. And you will become like the people you hang out with. Amen? I can tell you that look at your five closest friends, and that defines kind of who you are. You're going to kind of be the median of all those people you hang out with, and we need fellowship. And again, forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. But then not only that, notice it says the breaking of bread. So one of the things that they did when they would gather together as a church is they had two things. They would take communion, which we're going to do today. And then they would also have what they called an agape feast. That's where we got it. It's in the Bible. It's a love feast. And so when they would come together, they would share a meal. And in those days, and even today, in those days, sharing a meal with somebody was almost kind of like an intimate thing where you come together. In those days too, they would dip their bread in the same bowl and they would eat together. And that just you know, there's something special that takes place when you sit down and you have a meal together, and especially when you're with God's people, because then fellowship is taking place, ministry is taking place, we're getting to know each other better, we can minister one to another, and that's why in the early church, the apostles' doctrine, again, breaking of bread 
and again, fellowship and prayer. So breaking of bread, we do that. That's why we have communion and agape feast the first Sunday of the month. When I would go to India, I've been there seven times, and I would teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach their Bibles. A lot of them coming out of Hinduism or Islam, and we would teach them how to study. And then I would go to these village churches, and I'd go to these village churches. Sometimes I'd teach at three of them, starting at eight o'clock at night, then one at 10 o'clock, and one at midnight. These people would walk great distances. But when I would show up, a lot of times they'd all be sitting on the ground and they're all eating rice together. They're fellowshipping and they're having a meal together. And then they can't wait. And when you start teaching the word, they don't want to go anywhere else. They're not worried about being late for brunch. Amen. They're not worried about which football teams are going to, you know, watch, go home and watch the Rams lose, right? They don't have to worry about that, right? So they're just focused on being with God's people. And God bless you guys for coming out in the rain. Amen. Because you know what? This is where we should be in the presence of God's people. And then finally, notice it says there, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Notice nowhere in here does it say, you know, that uh, popularity things are, hey, it's a rock concert with, with smoke and mirrors. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that I go to a place where I'm going to be entertained or I go to a place, you know, we're never going to have, you know, a petting zoo here, guys, okay? We're not going to have the flying Walendas on Wednesday nights or we're not going to do any of that. What are we going to do? We're going to teach the word. We're going to proclaim the truth. We're going to be in fellowship. We're going to get on our knees and pray together and pray for each other. And by the way, fill out prayer requests, drop in the agape box. I pray for you throughout the week. Every Tuesday, I go on a prayer walk, and I love to pray for you. And some people take advantage of that. Some of you get prayed for 20 times a week because you put in 20 prayer requests. And God bless you. So guys, we have not because we ask not. And prayer is intimate fellowship with Almighty God. You know, the Bible says, you shall make my Father's house a house of prayer. And when we pray, we're not just praying. Our focus of our prayer should be Glorifying God and interceding on behalf of others, that should come before the prayers that we pray for ourselves. We should pray for ourselves. But I, I find when I pray for others, and here's the reality, the people that I pray for the most, I find myself loving the most. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And when we pray, we spend time in God's presence and it knits our heart together for those that we're praying for. Then notice it says, The fear came upon the soul of the many wonders and signs which were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, as believers, everything we own belongs to the Lord. And so as believers, when we see somebody who is hurting, we should take the stuff that belongs to God and minister to them. Here at our church, we want you to know this too. If you're hurting financially, if you're going through a difficult time, we want to help you. How many of you here, if you knew that somebody in our church didn't have food to eat or couldn't pay their gas bill, would want to help them? That's the body of Christ, amen? We want to help. We want to minister to you. That's how we operate. And we should look at those who are struggling, going through difficult times. We want to care for you. When you give to this fellowship, we help minister to those who are hurting. Notice it says they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among themselves as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one another in the temple with the breaking of bread house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Notice who grows the church. It's not a program it's not the pastor, it's not the worship team, it's certainly not the tent, amen? What grows the church is the Lord. 
The Lord draws people unto himself. He's the one who adds to the church. He gets all the glory. If anybody ever, if anything good happens here, it's because of God, not because of us. It's not because of who we are. It's in spite of who we are. God is a faithful, loving, gracious, and a merciful God. And you know what? Every time we come to church, we're like a family. We are a family because we have the same dad. We have Jesus in common. You know, when we were looking at some buildings, by the way, Skyline's not going to work out. They, the, we needed the parking lot across the street, and the guy who owns the place, it's a veterinary place, did not want us using his parking lot. But you know what? We praise God when he says no. Amen? Because when God says no, God knows what he's doing, and we need to pray for that, that gentleman across the street. So worship is a part of it, and the Lord is the one who adds to the church daily. So now we see the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. And now what do they do? Peter's, the people are getting saved. The church is growing. But these guys are still going to be living out their daily lives. And one of the things that's important for us as believers is to recognize that we're Christians wherever we go. And wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. When you show up at, at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you go out to a restaurant, the Holy Spirit entered the restaurant. When you're walking through your neighborhood, when you're gathered with your family, wherever you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Well, this is going to what we're going to see in chapter 3. For the first time, they're not just spirit in them, but spirit upon them. And they're going to be living out their daily lives, and divine appointments are going to come their way. And we're going to look in depth at one specific divine appointment that is about to take place in the life of Peter and John, as they are now walking and living their life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin there, verse 1, looking that they are men of prayer. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter had just been used mightily by God to lead 3,000 people to the Lord. But notice he didn't start the St. Peter Society. Amen? He didn't say, we're going to have the mega St. Peter Church. By the way, I don't think, I mean, when we're naming churches after saints, we're naming churches after people, just stop it already. Amen? It's not about man, it's about the Lord. Praise God for the people that God used mightily in Scripture. Praise God for people like Peter and John. But guys, it's not because of who Peter and John were that they were used mightily. It's because of who the Lord was in them and through them. Amen? We don't give the praise to men. We give the praise and the glory and the honor to the Lord. We don't wear chains with St. Peter on them around our neck. I mean, if you are, stop. The reality is, guys, you know, if you're going to wear anything, wear a cross, because when somebody asks you, you can tell them who Jesus is. And you know, St. Anthony helps me find my lost stuff. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Stop it. So Peter and John are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and notice that they are men of God. And what's amazing is, if any two apostles could be different, it's Peter and John. Peter's believed to have been the oldest apostle, and John's believed to have been the youngest. Peter was the guy that, again, was ready, fire, aim, right? That guy would just, he's lopping off ears. When, he, he never catches a fish in the Bible. He's a fisherman. The only time he catches it, when Jesus is with him and tells him to throw the net in again, right? This is a guy who's just, I imagine him being some big stocky dude that, you know, that's how I imagine Peter. And Peter saw, and John is more of a contemplator. He's a guy that sits back a little bit. He was one of the sons of thunder early on. 
But we see that John's the one that God uses to write the book of Revelation. He's a disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the only one who remained at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. When Peter ran away and hid, John was at the cross. But notice they're both filled with the Holy Spirit. They're different in age. They got different backgrounds. They got different personalities. But when you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? A couple of the pastors I met with yesterday, they're guys I've known a long time. And we have nothing in common outside of Jesus. I have one friend that, I'm like, you were in the band in high school? Really, bro? Come on, man. I was playing football. What are you doing? You, you, you like musicals? Really? Okay, well, God bless you, bro. I mean, we're just not, he hates sports. I'm like, how is that possible? But you, but you know what I mean? What I mean by that is that we just have nothing in common, but we have Jesus in common. And he's one of my closest friends on this planet. And so here's Peter and John, but I want you to notice something. They are Christians but they're still practicing Judaism to some level because they're going up at the hour of prayer. So the ninth hour of prayer is at 3 p.m. And they're going to go up to the, they're going to go up to the temple. They're still going to worship God in the temple. Now keep in mind when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. No more sacrifices, no more old covenant. The old covenant was sacrifices of lambs and goats, the fulfillment of all these feasts that were all pointing to Jesus. When Jesus came, we don't sacrifice lambs and goats anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. But you'll notice until you get to Acts chapter 10, the apostles are still very much Jewish in the way they behaved. They went to the temple, but they did not go to make sacrifices because the sacrifices didn't need to be made anymore. They went, though, at the hour of prayer. They went there to worship Almighty God. And no doubt they went there to evangelize to those who had missed Jesus as the Messiah. So they come together, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they remained in a place of total reliance upon God. They didn't say, well, I got the Holy Spirit, so I don't need to pray anymore. No, because they had the Holy Spirit, they desired to pray more. So Peter's kind of the doer guy. John's the contemplator. And tradition tells us Peter's the oldest. John is the youngest. And again, contrasting personalities are one in Christ. So they went up to the temple and the early church, while now Christians, were still very much Jewish. And again, we get to chapter 10, as we're, uh, the Lord tells Peter to, to rise, kill, and eat, and show, you know, shows them the things that they consider to be unclean food. And it's when Cornelius, who's a, a Roman centurion, is trying to, wants to have a relationship with God, and he's going to bring Jewish Peter to Gentile Cornelius. And we're going to see that's when the church is more about neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. But the first nine chapters, they're still caught up pretty much in trying to understand, okay, how we're we're Christians now. We're followers of Christ now. The term Christian wasn't even being used yet. We recognize that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah we've been waiting for. And we're surrendering our life to him. So they're still coming to temple. They're still observing the feast, but now had an entirely new meeting. They didn't seek to completely break from Judaism, but rather to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the hour of prayer happened three times a day, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., and they would drop whatever they were doing. They would stop working and spend an hour in prayer. They would spend 15 minutes in silent meditation on the goodness and the glory of God, 30 minutes of offering petitions, needs, and intercession on behalf of others, and then 15 minutes of worship. That's a great pattern for prayer. Time silently before God, just praising his name, honoring and glorifying him, then spending time of 
interceding on behalf of others, praying on behalf of others, praying for those who have needs, and in the end, spending time in worship. So they went to the 3 p.m. prayer time, and at 2.30, the evening sacrifices were offered. They didn't go for the evening sacrifices. Why not? They don't need to anymore because Jesus died on the cross. So Peter and John went for the hour of prayer, but they knew the sacrifices were not necessary. So point number one there, walking in the spirit, men and women of prayer no longer. You know, when, when you see them before Pentecost, most of the time when Jesus is praying, what are they doing? They're sleeping. They're napping. He's like, can't you wait with me even an hour and, he would, and they would go to pray, and these guys would, you know, you come back and fall out. Now, none of us have ever fallen asleep when we're praying, though, right? This is why it's good to pray in the morning, not just at night, right? You start your prayer, you start praying, and you wake up to the alarm, right? So these were men of prayer who were desperate for God, fully reliant on Him. But watch this also. They're men of discernment and compassion not men of a judgmental spirit. Look what it says in verse 2. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So this man, it's difficult being lame ever, you know, but back then, didn't have wheelchairs, you know, didn't have ways to, to get around on their own. They had to fully rely on other people, you know, you didn't have a desk job where you could just sit and be an, a, a, you know, an IT person and earn an, an, a living because most of the jobs they had were manual labor, fishermen, things like that. And so if you had this handicap, you literally became a beggar. And not only a beggar, but you had to have friends who loved you enough to carry you every day down to the temple where you would just sit there all day and, and hope that somebody would come by and be willing to you know, give you an alm, give you some kind of money or something to eat. And so that was this man's life. And he would be parked there day after day after day. So his friends would bring him, no doubt, on the way to work, leave him there. They'd go to work, come back, get him, and take him home. And so that man was there every single day. But the sad, the, here's the truth, though. That man that was there every day, a lot of times, most of the time, people pro probably walked right by without making eye contact. Now, has anybody ever done that when you see somebody begging or somebody's that has got a little sign up at the stoplight and you just don't even look in their direction or am I the only one that's ever done that? Because, you know, eye contact means, oh, they're going to, oh, maybe I got you, right? <laughs> maybe he's got something, right? And so Peter and John are headed to the temple. There's going to be a divine appointment along the way. And no doubt they've walked by this guy many times before. But now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be different. Because now they're going to be men, again, of compassion, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 9, it says, it says Rabbi, they say this, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents were born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, before they would look at the lame man and say, what kind of sin did he do to deserve this? That's what they said before. Now watch them filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of looking at this man as somebody who deserved what happened to him, they're people, they're going to be men who have a heart of compassion. Notice it says he was lame from his mother's womb. Acts 4.22 tells us this man was over 40 years old. And 40 is the number of testing and temptation. And, and infirmity at birth is 
Again, as we are born in sin, he'd been sick since birth. He'd been dealing with this his entire life, and he had to be carried by friends daily. And imagine the life of this lame man. He could only beg, no freedom, could not go where he wanted. By the way, they were considered to be unclean, so he could not go in the temple and worship either. So he couldn't worship, he couldn't work, he couldn't go where he wanted, he had to fully rely on other people. And Peter and John, no doubt, had walked by him many, many times before. But this time it's different because they've got the Holy Spirit. Life was difficult, painful. The future was bleak. The same results that take place in the life of an unbeliever. You're separated. Notice it's at the beautiful gate. It's the golden gate. It's beautiful. Again, and, then, and the contrast is you got this beautiful gate, and then you have what the world would see as an ugly, ugly sight. This man who was there, who's begging. And for most people, it was something that they ignored. And if they gave him anything, it was just a momentary thing out of pity. Now look at verse 3 and 4. Who's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John Peter, with John, Peter said, look at us. So now they're walking by and he's, he's begging. There's nothing else he can do. There's not a job he can go get to provide for himself. So as, some, as they're walking by, he kind of cries out to them. And when Peter and John, when Peter, when they fix their eyes on him, he's thinking, great, they're probably going to give me something. So he's getting excited about the fact that, hey, they're probably going to at least, you know, give me enough money for a meal, something like that. So the layman's asking for a physical blessings, but the two apostles who prior to Pentecost wanted to send the crowd away. They were the ones when they, remember the 5,000 and they're, they're at the end of the day and the Lord's ministering to 5,000 people and they're the ones that go, it's going to be dinner time, Lord. Can we get rid of these people? Just get them out of here. These are the same ones when the children came, wanted to keep the children away. Hey, you little rugrats, get out of here. You know, he's, you know, he's got, you know, the Lord's busy. And what did Jesus say? Let the little children come unto me for as such is the kingdom of heaven. These guys were still in apostle training, amen? They were not making good decisions. They were not acting in a godly way. The Holy Spirit is going to change these guys. The blind man is a hit sinner, his parents. They argued over who was the greatest. I'm greater than you. I'm greater than you. I'm greater than you. So they went from all this arrogance. What happened? The Holy Spirit not only empowers them to preach with boldness, as we saw Peter do, it's also going to give them a heart of compassion to focus on others, not on themselves, and to, and to be tools in the hands of the master that can be used for the kingdom of God and for his glory. So Peter fixed his eyes on him. He focused on the one who had need, just like Jesus does. And he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, this man was having a divine appointment with Peter and John. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. This is where their eyes are fixed. And along the way, God brings a divine appointment. And I believe in, in my life, and I, pray, I encourage you all to pray for divine appointments. Divine appointments come just when I'm living life. You're at the grocery store. You're in line at the bank. You know, you're just living your life. You're walking the dog through the neighborhood, whatever it might be. And, and it's as we're just living our lives, God brings these divine appointments. Did God know that that man was going to be there? What's the answer? Did he know that Peter and John were going to walk by? Of course he did. And this was God's ultimate plan. And you know what? Too often, here's what we do. Divine appointment, we don't make eye contact and we keep walking. Anybody besides me ever done that? And you know what? May we be sensitive. Lord, may I not miss out on the divine appointments that you have for me today. 
Most people avoided eye contact, and he said to them, look at us. He wanted his attention to engage him, to minister to him. Verse 5, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, expecting that his attention to him meant that, again, he would receive some kind of a money, some money or something placed into his hand. Peter and John had undoubtedly walked by the same man many, many times before, but this time, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they did not miss out on this divine appointment. No doubt, thousands walked by this man each day. Thousands. Most ignored him. And praise God for two men who didn't, because they're about to change his life. His life's going to be radically transformed. 25, 30 years ago, when I was, it was probably in the early 90s, I was driving to an appointment. Most of you guys know I used to sell advertising. I did it for 35 years. I just stepped away from that job 10 months ago. And I was, I was running late between appointments, and it was about 105 degrees. It was in Van Nuys in the summer, and I had, a, had to meet a bunch of attorneys after leaving another account, and I was dying of thirst, and I ran into a 7-Eleven to grab something really quick and get back in my car and go. And as I ran in, I kind of noticed the guy that was sitting on the ground over here, and he looked pretty battered. But I, as, as I often did, just ran right by him. And I went inside, and I got something to drink, and I came back out, and I'm in my car, and I'm starting to back away, and the Lord's convicting me, get out and talk to that man about me. But Lord, I'm running late for an appointment. I got a bunch of attorneys waiting for me, Lord, you know? So I start backing my car out, and then I'm feeling it more and more. You, know, you need to go talk to that. You need to go talk to him. I need you to go, to, you go, go talk to him. And then I, just, then I just, you know, turn left. I'm at the stoplight, and then I get the Holy Spirit head slap. Anybody ever had this before? Go back and talk to him. And I don't want to do it. I'm busy. I've got an appointment. I've got these attorneys. They don't like it when you're late. I flip to you. I'm okay, Lord. Okay. So I flip to you. And you know, you can obey God with the right attitude or you can obey God with the wrong attitude. I flip to you. I always keep tracks in my door. So I flip the door open at the 7-Eleven. I grab a track. I walk out. I don't even turn my car off. I, I've got, hey, bro, it's you know Jesus loves you. Came and suffered. I might have eternal life. Here's a track for you. Here's a dollar. God bless you. Have a good day. I started to walk away. Okay, Lord, I did what you wanted. When I started to walk away, the man grabbed my hand. He pulled me close to him and he started weeping. And he said, sir, just about an hour ago, I was over there behind that building. And I noticed when I saw him that he had been burned badly. He had a lot of burns on his body. And he said, yeah, I was sitting over there behind where I usually sleep at night and I was going to kill myself. I just was done. He goes, a few months back, I slept in the wrong place and a guy poured lighter fluid on me and set me on fire. And this guy was marred bad. And he goes, and I just came over here and I said, before I was going to kill myself, I said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to show me. You're going to have to send someone to tell me that you're real somehow. And I wanted to drive away to go see the attorney. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of times I have driven away and I didn't go back. And you know what? It was the grace of God. I got, got this guy plugged into a local church, helped him get, you know, ported. And, and, you know, I've never forgotten that. But the point is, like Peter and John, often I would walk right by that person. And it was only because the Holy Spirit and that divine appointment. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing that man in heaven. I'm looking forward to spending eternity with him. Amen? And so here's what happens. They see this guy. They're looking into his eyes. And here's this divine appointment. 
And they're, they're not worried about where they're supposed to be. Right now, he's the focus. And they're saying, look at us. Now, not only are they men of prayer and men of compassion, they're also men of faith. Look at verse 6. The Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have. Now, do you think he's happy when he hears that sentence? <laughs> silver and gold I do not have. Dude, why, why are you wasting my time? Why are you stopping? Just keep walking. You, got, you, you don't have anything for me? But not watch this. He's got something greater for them. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Once men of great doubt, Lord had told them they would, remember when they all got in the boat and he said, I'm going to take you over to the other side. And what happened? Storm came. What did they do? They panicked. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. Keep your eyes on, you know, don't focus on the storm, focus on Jesus. They focus on Jesus, they would have been at total peace because he was, he was asleep. Instead, they focus on the waves. Remember that Peter would often doubt and he was faithless. Now, he did get out, of, he's the one guy that walked on the water, right? He at least got out of the boat, amen? But he wasn't a man of faith and he began to sink. Now, that's Peter before Pentecost. Peter now after Pentecost makes a proclamation, rise up and walk. Does it take faith on your, for, for Peter to tell him to rise up and walk? Because if it doesn't happen, you look like a false prophet. Peter, summoned by Jesus to walk on water, stepped out in faith and, and sunk. But in this case, he's got faith to call this man to do something that the world would find impossible. You know what? Our God is great. And notice, here's the key to this whole verse. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. It's the name above all names. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And now he's walking in more intimate fellowship with Jesus than he ever has. And Jesus has ascended into heaven. But now he has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And now he's speaking the name of Jesus with boldness. He spoke it with boldness when he preached and 3,000 people got saved. And he doesn't just share it with the crowd. He shares it with the individual. And this man's greatest need was not being able to walk. His greatest need was Jesus. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Look at verse 7. And he took him up by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, does that take faith to go up to a guy who's lame, who's never walked before? No doubt his legs are, you know, atrophied and curled up. And you grab him by the hand and start jerking him up. Now, that could not end, end not well. <laughs> you might have a mob getting after you that you're tormenting this poor lame guy. You might jerk, jerk his shoulder out of socket, but you know what he did? Guys, it's one thing to say we believe, and it's another thing to take actions that reflect belief. Amen? It's one thing to step out of the boat. It's one thing to... And so he reaches down and grabs a hold of this man by his arm, and it says, he took him up by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received their strength. He followed the example of Jesus in Mark 31, so he came and took her by the hand. This is Peter's mother-in-law, and lifted her up, and immediately her fever left her. We too should follow the example of Jesus, walking in holiness, loving, serving, and ministering to others. So this man, he was hoping to get a coin, and instead, he's going to be able to walk. Not only is he going to walk, look at verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood, walked, and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God, I guess so, amen? 
Can you imagine if you're a layman, you think you're going to be lame for the rest of your life. No, no lame man gets healed. That doesn't happen. And now notice where he goes first, though, when he's healed. You would think the temptation would be to run home and tell mom and dad. Because no doubt they're going to be excited. It would be to go and tell all your friends. But what does he do? Because he knows who healed him, he went and praised and worshiped him before he did anything else. And guys, God should be the priority and the passion of our life. And he was walking and leaping and praising God outside the temple, watching the world go by, unable to fellowship. And now he enters into worship. He's healed of his lifelong infirmity. He responds with incredible joy. And the first place, the first stop was not home to family and friends, but to the temple. Now imagine what happened in the temple when the lame guy that's been out, out here about for decades begging for money, and no doubt they've seen him at some point, many have given him a coin, and now he walks in and now he's, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Guys, God not only heals us, so that our lives can be transformed, but he heals us so that we may point others to him. So they might see the transforming work that God does in our life so we can have an impact on the lives of those around us. You know, this layman is a picture of us. We were outside the temple. We were unable to fellowship because of our sin, but because of his grace, not because of something we earned, Jesus touched us through one of his vessels, and now you can walk and leap and praise God. You can have intimate fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May the truth of our salvation never grow common. It should cause us, we should be praising God all the time, amen? We should be walking and leaping and praising God. We should be excited about who we are in Christ. I say this often, it's just become a thing that I do, but people say, how's it going? Or how are you doing? I'll say, this is what I say almost every time, going to heaven. My coworkers, how you doing today, Dave? Going to heaven, bro. How about you? Amen? Guys, you know what? When I say that, it, it changes my own perspective. I might have been bummed out walking into a sales meeting. It's going to be an hour and a half of pain. And instead, I'm like, going to heaven. God's good all the time. It should cause us to leap. Not to sleep, but to praise God. And notice what it says in verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. A transformed life produces a public testimony. A large crowd assembled at the hour of public prayer. The miracle had the utmost publicity. The lame man's life had been radically changed. It caused him to leap for joy and to praise God without any concern or worry about what anybody else thought. I can walk. I've been saved. For us, I've been saved. I've been born again. And we should not keep it to ourselves. Don't hide your light under a bushel. We shouldn't be excited about who we are in Christ. By the way, true miracles always glorify God. Never the, per the tool that was used to glorify him, but God alone is the one who is glorified. Verse 10, then they knew it was he who said, begging alms at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Is this an opportunity for the gospel or what? All these people that are in the temple and they're still waiting for the Messiah and they're going to hear that Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, this man has been healed. And guys, it's, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Filled with wonder. They were blown away but still didn't know how he had been healed. So these men were now men of faith. They believed God not only could heal the lame man, but that he would, and they acted upon it. Point number four, there were men of humility. Look at verse 11 and 12. Now, as the lame man who was 
healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? Peter before was a man filled with pride. And when he would, he would wanted to focus on himself and he would make a stand and say, I'll never deny you. And he was the guy that was so super bold and make bold proclamations and put the focus on himself. And now filled with the Holy Spirit, he's a humble man saying, why do you even look at us? It's got nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. He doesn't want the glory. He doesn't want people pointing to him. By the way, he was not the first pope. Amen. There was never a pope in the Bible, and there need to be no more popes anymore. Can I get amen to that? So he'd been, he'd been a man of pride, arguing over who's the greatest prior to Pentecost. Not, not self, not, you know, not, he was a self-promoting man before, but now he's a humble man. And the lame man's healing drew this huge crowd uh, to these three men. Probably was about four or 5,000 people. And the lame, man were hold, the lame man was holding on to Peter and John. And again, remember, that man was always at the gate, and now he's walking. I love this picture. Look what it says there in verse 12. And again, when they saw it, the men of Israel, they marveled at this. You know, your life should be so radically different when you give your life to the Lord that people marvel at it. The people that knew you before and they know you now, it should be almost as radical as seeing a lame man walking. This is who I was before I knew Jesus. These were the priorities and passions of my life. These were the struggles I went through. These were the things that I made too important. And now I've given my life to Jesus and everything has changed. Maybe we'll be walking testimonies for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why are you looking at us? Guys, we don't want to look at the instrument. We want to look at the craftsman. Just quickly, you've heard me use this illustration before. Many years ago, Thanksgiving, I was at my parents' house when I lived in Lancaster, again in the 90s. And I got the worst toothache of my entire life. My teeth hurt so bad I couldn't, I couldn't even think. And that's the worst day to get a toothache on Thanksgiving. So I'm in the phone book before the internet existed, in the phone book trying to find a dentist. I called 20 dentists. Finally, one of the guys answered the phone. He said, I'm having dinner with my family. I, I said, I'm, I'm dying. I need help here. And he said, look, I'll meet you at my office in an hour. I'm going to finish my meal. That's fine. He said, I'm going to have to charge you double. You can have my car. I don't care. You know, I'm in pain. <laughs> So I go there, he doesn't have an assistant, and I'm, I, I'm waiting for the Nova. I mean, you know how you don't like the Novocaine shot? When you're in that much pain, give me four Novocaine shots, right? So I sit down, he gives me the shot, the pain goes away. He didn't have an assistant, he gives me the root canal and, and, and does the whole thing, and the pain's gone, and he puts the temporary crown on, and I go and pay him. I, I, matter of fact, I tipped a dentist. You ever tipped a dentist before? <laughs> So I said, man, you know what? Thank you so much. You left your family. I so appreciate it. Now, how stupid would it have been if I grabbed the drill and said, oh, thank you, drill. <laughs> You're such an amazing drill. Thank you for fixing my teeth. See, the drill in my hands would have more, done more damage than good. The only reason the drill was useful is because it was in the hands of the dentist. And guys, we're just drills. And the only time we're useful is when we're in the hands of the master. When we're used for his kingdom and his glory, we don't get the praise, he gets the praise. And the reality is, it's only when we're in his hands that we can be used in a mighty and a powerful way. Without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? 
Temptation comes when, when you do something for God. Oh, you're anointed. Oh, I, I get sick of that word sometimes. Because it's not about us. It's about him. Amen? And, and, we, and people want to, you want to take it. And someone's come and say, oh, you're so anointed. You're so gifted. Well, it's all the Lord. But tell me a little more about how anointed I am. Right? Tell me a little more about how amazing I am. There's a mentality that can, can take place. And Peter was such a man. But now he's been walking with the Lord. So, so many times you have people that want to draw men unto themselves. Guys, they should forget us and remember Jesus. Amen? The quickest way out of effective ministry is to start elevating your own name. God says in Isaiah, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another. To God alone be all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the time. Amen? We praise his name. We point people to him. They were men of humility, not looking to make a name for themselves, but to point men to Christ. See, these are spirit-filled people from pride to humility. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit truly is upon you. And then finally, the last two points are they were men of conviction. Let's look at this quickly. Verse 13. He said, men, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Here's he's calling out the guys. Here's what he says to them. Hey, you want to know what happened? That Jesus you cried out to have crucified. When you cried out for Barabbas instead of Jesus, that Jesus, he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. Now before, he stood in front of these same people and he was scared half to death. And now he's standing up and letting them know that Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, he's the one you crawled out, called out to have crucified. Verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, that's Barabbas, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of whom we are witnesses. Oh, by the way, the one you cried out to be put to death, he wouldn't lay in the ground. He wouldn't stay in the ground because he triumphed over sin and death. He's almighty God. The Messiah came. You missed him. You blew it. It's not too late to get right with him. Where, where, where did this Peter come from? The one that was shaking and hiding when, they, when the little girl came up and said, you're one of his followers. And he cussed and ran away and hid. What happened to him was the Holy Spirit came upon him. He went from being a man operating in his own strength to a man who'd been humbled, who cried out to God and surrendered his life fully to him. Peter is preaching with boldness. He's pointing it first to the common ground, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed in that. When you share your faith with somebody, it's good to find common ground. When I meet somebody, they, if they have a belief in God, okay, you believe in God, so do I. Well, I believe God's in the trees. Well, okay, that's where we're gonna, we're gonna, I believe God died on a tree. Can I get an amen to that? But we try to find something in common. So he begins with, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then he says in verse 16, his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see now. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. See, he's pointing to the one that died, the one that rose from the dead, and it's through faith in him that this man's life was transformed. And we can all say the same. He's the one who came. He's the one who died. It's our faith in him that transformed our life, and there's no other name under heaven that can save and transform us. God raised this man up. God raised himself from the dead. By the way, anytime anybody wants to talk to me, well, maybe it's Muhammad for these people and Confucius for these people and Joseph Smith for the people in Utah, right? You know what you tell them? 
Show me when those guys raised from the dead and we can have that conversation. Jesus alone triumphed over sin and death. The resurrection of Christ is the foundation of the gospel. It's the heart of the message, triumphing over sin and death. See, guys, as believers, we don't need to fear death because Christians, we don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. Amen? And we need not be afraid. Notice what he says here. Yet now, brethren, verse 17, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, that they cried out for the for Jesus to be crucified. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Even though they cried out, people will say this, well, the Romans crucified Jesus or the Jews crucified Jesus. Here's the reality. Nobody could crucify Jesus if he didn't allow them to do it. Amen? And you know who crucified Jesus? All sinners who've ever lived. Because our sin is the reason he had to go to the cross of Calvary. His name, not Peter's power, but Christ's name had done it all. Faith in his name, faith through him, perfect soundness in the presence of you all, an undeniable testimony. He's saying, look, this is who he is. This is what he did. And by the way, here's the proof. This guy was lame and now he walks. I once was blind and now I see. I once was spiritually dead and now I'm a new creation in Christ. And praise God for that. Verse 18, but these things which God foretold from the mouth were suffered that this might be fulfilled. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what should our message be? for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent is a word people don't like, but it's a word that means to change direction, to change of mind, a change of heart. I'm headed in this direction. I've given my life to the Lord. I've turned away from the person I once was, and I've surrendered my life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Tells him to repent, verse 20, that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you, before, whom heaven has received until the times of restoration of all things, who God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Man, Peter, Peter, what happened? This man of fear is a man of boldness. This man of pride is a man of humility. This man who, who fell asleep is now a man of prayer. Guys, the transforming power in Peter's life is the same Holy Spirit that can transform your life and mine. Amen? The same Holy Spirit that indwelt him is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And if you want to see your life radically change, there needs to be less of you and more of him. There needs to be less of me and more of him. Jesus said of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. If the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, according to Jesus, is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, there's got to be less of me and more, than him, more of him, then certainly that's true of us. Amen? These guys are now men of conviction. Conviction. They, were not, they didn't care what anybody else thought. You know, I love, I love the word conviction. It's, it's someone who you can't change his mind and he won't change the subject. Amen? Like, this is it. This is what I believe. I don't care what you think. This is what the Word of God says. This is the truth. And he stands for it. He calls him unto repentance for conversion, blotting out of your sin, and being transformed by the power 
of Almighty God, the work of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. Repentance produces blotting out of sin, being refreshed by the Spirit, being restored to fellowship with God. And then he says in verse 22 there, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things wherever he says to you. Notice that now his focus is always pointing to the Lord and he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people in the temple and he takes them back to Moses. Moses said that a man like this was coming. He came. His name is Jesus Christ. All must deal with Christ. Repent now or face judgment upon his return. His return, glorious moment for his own and judgment for the lost. Guys, I'm excited about the end times because I know that by the grace of God where I'm going. My prayer is that none of us here would spend eternity separated from Almighty God. Notice what it says in verse 21, or verse 23, excuse me. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. He's now preaching boldly from the word. They've seen the miracle, but notice it's not going to be the miracle that saves people. It's the word of God. It's not the signs and wonders that cause people to be saved. It's the word of God. And that's why we focus on teaching the word of God. He quoted Deuteronomy 18, where he says there's a prophet like him, Moses sent by God, from the burning bush to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage, now speaks of Jesus who was sent by his father to deliver people from our sins. Verse 23, all who reject Jesus will face destruction because there's no other name by which we must be saved. Last three verses and we'll go to a time of communion. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have always foretold of these days. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant which God made for, for our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first God has raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning you away, everyone from your own iniquities. I love how Peter, who was so afraid, now only preaches the gospel and does it with boldness and is not ashamed of it and is not fearful of how people are going to respond to it. Guys, it's not our job to save anyone, but we are called to share the truth with everyone. Amen? People need Jesus. People need to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to the Jew first. And God's not done with Israel, by the way, and that's why we're pro-Israel around here. Amen? They delivered the word. The Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He's in every chapter in the Old Testament. And he was not going to be ashamed of the gospel. So walking in the spirit, it changes men of sleep to men of prayer. It changes men who are self-absorbed into men of compassion and discernment. It changes men who are faithless to men of faith. It changes men and women who are prideful into men and women of humility. It changes men of compromise into men of conviction. And it changes men of experience and seeking after the things of the world to men and women of the word. Guys, I pray for all of us that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives, that we would not be satisfied with just having the spirit in us, but we would desire to have the spirit flowing out of us on a lost and dying world all around us. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go now to this time of communion. May we do this in remembrance of you, the greatest act of love in all of human history, when Almighty God sent his Son to suffer and die, that we might have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
They're going to pass out the elements. As they do, just hold on to them. I want you to take, do three things. Take a moment and look back to the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Also take a moment to look within and examine your own heart before the Lord. And then also to look ahead because Jesus said to the apostles, the next time you do this, you'll do this with me in heaven. So take a few moments, spend some time with the Lord, and we'll come back and take these elements together.